Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. Happy Halloween as you're joining us. You know, it's always really, really neat when we go to talk about most of the holidays on our calendar, whether you're Catholic or not, as you celebrate them or they mark parts of your year, the time going by, most all of them have a Catholic, very Catholic uh, root and origin to them being the cause for the event and the day and the celebration itself. And Halloween is another one of those days. So if you want to understand a little bit more of the Catholic meaning behind Halloween. Stay with me. We're getting ready to head into All Saints Day and All Souls Day, so that's a little bit of your uh, teaser for what all of that means. And remembering, we have a Holy Day of Obligation coming up with All Saints Day tomorrow. It's our weekly happy hour today on Trending. I'm going to be talking about what it means uh, to be holy and that call to be holy on Halloween, All Hallows' Eve having to do with the saints, and we'll unpack that more later on. Joining me today, I am very, very um, happy to be able to have this conversation and share with you the story of a young man who is truly courageous in the current culture we're living in. A young man who identified as transgender and is telling his story. In fact, he said that he accepted the fact that he had mutilated his own body with the various treatments, so-called treatments he was going through with cross-sex hormones and even with uh, surgical reconstructive surgery of the top part of his body to make it look like female anatomy. And he said, I would just be a very heavily mutilated man with so much cosmetic surgery, he said, if he continued to go further. He said, I would never become a woman. He said, I've just become a character of what I believed a woman was. He said he was deceived by everyone from therapists and doctors to even trans activists who lied to him. And joining me today to share his own story is Abel Garcia. Abel, thank you for, so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me here, me today. So Abel, your story starts some years ago. I know you're 25 years old now and you have been so courageous and willing to share much of what's happening in your own life. But let's kind of start with kind of going back to when you were 13 and a little bit of your family of origin and the involvement of your parents in your life and kind of how you got to this transgender identity and the role all of that played. Sure. Um, so my, I'll start off with my childhood and my, and my family. Uh, my parents here came to the U.S. here illegally from Mexico. Um, so my parents were always working, uh, well, mostly my father. So I didn't really have much time to spend 
they have quality time to be with my father. Um, overall, I ha- I feel like I had a decent childhood, and I'm saying that that's at best. Um, I was a very shy kid, very introverted, very didn't really like to hang out or talk to a lot of people. Um, now that I've been older, and I've had the opportunity to speak to other detransitioners, I'm. I might be autistic, uh, just from what I, uh, just because that seems to be a huge, how do I put it? It's something that goes along with a lot of other detransitioners, but I have yet to be my, tested myself. Um, but besides that, um, um, I didn't really figure out what transgender was like, like till I was in middle school and or high school. Late middle school, early high school. So tell me a little bit about how everything kind of transpired. So you have, you know, migrant parents. I know your story goes that, you know, you guys tended to move a lot with the various jobs that your father would take. Your grandparents helped to raise you. So you didn't have, you know, a ton of interaction with your father. And there was a lot of, you know, kind of frustration you shared with, you know, a male role model and not really having or feeling like you had that male role model while also feeling isolated within your community and lonely as well. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have my, even though my father was in my life and he was, he wasn't really there because he was always working. Um, I did have my grandfather and, and uncles, but as much as I love them, they do not have the same role as my father. Um, but I, again, I'm not upset with my father for what he did. Uh, he is working and he needed to support me and my mother. I'll give him that. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, th- th- there's that, that balance, right? I think that's a balance for every parent of loving and caring for their family, about being present, especially for fathers as providers. Uh, let's talk a little bit. So you're 13 years old. Where were you feeling kind of with your masculinity? And at that time, where was your identity? And how did that seem to evolve, at least seemingly to you, in those early years of high school? Um, so my masculinity, I've always been very emasculated as a kid. I was in uh, the most masculine. It was, like I said, very shy, quiet, timid. Um, again, it might be that I might that I might be autistic. I don't know, and I have yet to test myself. And to be honest, I'm a little scared. I'm being tested by doctors again. But I think mm-hmm. all that with the no uh, male role model in my family. Um, I just questioned myself as a man, and I don't think I was living up to the standards of what I saw as a man in my in the Hispanic culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you are in high school. You're kind of exposed for the first time. I know. I think you said on YouTube to some of this transgender identity. You didn't fully understand it really until you started to go into high school, and so add that timidity um, and kind of that discomfort in you know this idea of what it means to be a man uh, share with me a little bit what it was like for you hearing the transgender narrative that has been pushed in the culture um when i first found out what it was it made sense to me at the time and this is just me as a kid not knowing anything assuming what they were saying was accurate but i didn't 
go forward with what with that ideology until after I left high school, which was a couple years later. Mm -hmm. And once I was in high, once I graduated high school, went to college, I realized that is it, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And since I had been having issues as my with myself as a man, I said, well, I decided to go to see a therapist and see what was gonna happen. Am I just a weak man who has issues with himself, or am I truly a quote-unquote woman like they were telling me? Mm-hmm. What was your mom's reaction when you started to share this with her? Oh, she cried. Uh, she did not mm. like um, me telling her. Uh, she thought, well, she told me, what if I'm wrong? What if this isn't really for me? Um, because I was just into that ideology and I was just fresh into it. I told her, no, I'm not going to be wrong. I know I'm not wrong. This is what I want. And, well, a few years later, she was right. <laughs> she was right, right? Moms, you know, it's, isn't that so hard sometimes? <laughs> she knew. So that was your mom's reaction. She you know, wanted to make sure you were making the right choice. Uh, but how about with regard to your dad? What was your dad's reaction and how did that influence you? So I actually didn't tell my father at all. Um, I actually requested my mom not to tell him. And he eventually found out on his own. I don't know how he did. Um, I'm assuming it's through my mother, and I say that because I've asked my father, and he won't give me an answer. But his reaction was to take me to a prostitute in Mexico. And just wow. for your audience, and to be very PG, I will just say, use your imagination. There was $100 involved. Wow, so your father's reaction when he understands you're struggling with a gender identity um, or what you perceived was gender identity at the time, especially after talking to therapists. And I want to get a little bit of how therapists treated and reacted to you. He takes you to um, a prostitute, pays her. Um, you're How old are you at the time, Abel? I'm 19. Okay, so you're 19 at the time. And at that time, were you already identifying as transgender? Or where were you at in terms of a public identity or even just privately? Um, I had been going to see a therapist for a few months, and as of then, uh, even though she immediately affirmed me as a transgender woman, I still wanted time to think of everything through. Interesting. Okay, so you were kind of starting to see this therapist. The therapist starts to immediately affirm you as if you were a woman when that wasn't even what you were identifying as, correct? You were just questioning Yes, I was just questioning myself. Okay, I want to come back to the therapist, but what happened with your dad with taking you to Mexico to visit a prostitute, I'm guessing this was probably a first-time sexual encounter for you. What was your... How did that impact you, both in your father's choice to take you there as well as the encounter? Uh, so, yes, that was my first sexual encounter with a woman. Um, after the incident, um, I... Lied to my father, told him I had a great time, told him it, well, we should come again, but inside I was screaming. I did not want to do mm. that ever again. I hated mm. my father for a couple years. Um, but we have rebuilt our relationship, I will say that. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And it, we live in a culture, it's interesting that the transgender identity has become 
such a sexualized identity because it starts as your story goes with you were uncomfortable, you know, with this whole idea of being a man and kind of this rejection of maleness. It didn't have to do with sexual encounters specifically, but you know, our culture get it, gets it so wrong that just because we're struggling with our identity doesn't mean that we need to overtly sexualize ourselves or say suddenly that we're something that's the opposite, right? You know, there's one reaction from your father at the time to sexualize you. And then there's a reaction from the therapist to just say, you can identify as whatever you want. Yeah, sadly, that's uh, how it is from, from what I see nowadays. So did your father exposing you to that encounter with a prostitute, did that further confuse you with regard to that identity, that gender identity that you were starting to question at the time? No, it actually pushed me forward towards the transition. Um, prior to that incident, I was just thinking about transitioning. Wasn't sure if it was right for me or not, but after that, I decided that I wanted to transition because I didn't want to be hurt again by my father and through what he did. Mm -hmm. So you further rejected the idea of what you viewed it to be as a man, that encounter that your father pushed you into. Yes. Yeah. So so combine that with your exposure with the counselor and therapist. And by the way, if you're just joining us, Abel Garcia is here with me, very heroically sharing the difficult experience he had as a young man. He's now 25 who identified in the past as transgender and he's telling his story. He's reclaimed his male identity, the biological reality of himself with the aftermath of therapy though and cross-sex hormones that have impacted him. So you're 19. How did the counselors respond? You shared that immediately when you started to question your gender, talking to the counselor, trying to work this out, that you weren't identifying as transgender, and they immediately started affirming you as transgender. What was your reaction to that? So when I first saw her, I told her, I think I might be transgender. I just want your help to see if I am or not. Immediately, like I said, she affirmed me saying, yes, you're a transgender woman. That she had my letter to transition her right away with hormones. A letter? Yes. Okay, so and where would you take that letter? Um, that would I, I would give it to a doctor and they would prescribe me the hormones. And this was on your first time meeting this therapist. She had never before treated you or looked into any family past or past of depression, anxiety, eating disorders, autism, did she look at any of that possible history or explore those avenues? Nope, immediately affirmation. Wow, and so you took that letter then, what was your reaction to her offering that letter and saying that you're a woman? So I didn't accept the letter that day. Um, I actually asked her a question, I said, why am I affirming, so why are you affirming me so quickly? Her reaction was because um, I'm obviously a trans woman and she did not want to gatekeep me. Explain that term for those who don't know. What does it mean to be gatekeeped within the transgender community? So from what I've learned um, what the word means, it just means that she would have had to do her actual job, which was figure out what's the underlying issue, why I'm identifying as a woman, and if there's any other issue that I'm facing with that could be the result of this. 
Wow. So it's interesting because the therapy world today, and this is really important because you were at this point, were an adult, you were 19 years old. Um, but in the public school system, when school counselors are meeting with people who have struggled with their identity, immediately those school counselors, if there's any question of identity, they immediately start to, to affirm that young boy or that young girl as the opposite sex. And this whole gatekeeping terminology is fascinating to me because it's as if they're saying, we're not going to do anything apart from affirm. And that's been the approach that's been pushed uh, and being forced upon some therapists today, as well as in the educational system. And it is absolutely frightening to see What's your reaction to the minors? I mean, 10 years old, 15 years old, who are being uh, counseled in the same way by school counselors without their parents' knowledge? I am honestly disgusted by the fact that school uh, professionals are doing this behind the backs of parents. Um, I know had I came out a few years earlier, I'm pretty sure that would have happened to me. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of uh, uh, detransitioners who transitioned as minors, and it's horrifying to hear what they say. Mm-hmm. So initially, your reaction to the therapist is as she is affirming you with a transgender identity as a woman, but you're you know, clearly a man, um, you start to question her, why are you affirming me? She said she doesn't want to gatekeep you, and she starts ushering you into this community. Did you continue to question her, or where did you go from here? Um, I didn't question her, because at the time, I had no reason to question medical professionals. Um, I assumed that she was uh, being truthful and honest, because... She was a medical professional and I was just a 19 year old kid who knew nothing mm-hmm. better in the world. So <laughs> right. I really questioned her after that, but I should have looking mm-hmm. back now. Yeah. So did you continue to see her as your therapist? Yes, I saw her, I believe, for about another three years and memory serves right. And then at what point did you accept that letter to go to a medical professional and start receiving cross-sex hormones? Um, I accepted it about a few months after. Um, I think no, October is probably when I accepted the letter uh, because I had moved out from my parents' house and living on my own. And November is when I started hormones officially. Mm-hmm. Where did you go for hormone, so-called hormone therapy? Um, I just went to my doctor, um, and he prescribed it to me. Your primary care physician that you had already had? Yes. Interesting. And then what did that look like with your insurance? Was that covered by insurance? So what, what did you have to do? Um, so the insurance did not cover the hormones uh, for the first uh, prescription. But on the second one and then and those forward, they immediately um, uh, covered it. I don't know why they didn't cover it the first time, but they started to cover it event, um, again after the second point after the second uh, or the first refill, I guess. What were you taking? What did you start off with? I started with estradiol. 
And then eventually I transitioned to Spiralactone. And both of them were pills. Uh, eventually I switched to the estradiolene injection forms, but that was probably like a year or two later. Mm -hmm. Which are far more p potent and effective. Yes. Yeah. So the estradiol um, is a synthetic version of estrogen. Um, and then the spernac, or can you say the, what, what the second one was? lactone. Yes. And what did, was the function of that particular So from what they were telling me, it, uh, it's, testosterone uh, blockers that's but it that's, apparently has other uses as well from my conversations with other medical professionals who had no hand in my transition mm -hmm. so you're taking estrogen synthetic form and spurlactin so you're giving you're being given cross-sex hormones so female hormones your biological male though and you're being given testosterone blockers did they tell you that there could or would be any side effects what did they say were the benefits and what were the negative consequences I don't remember hearing any negative side effects I know when they told me what I wanted to hear that eventually I would become the woman I assumed I would be Wow now, did you believe that taking these cross-sex hormones and testosterone blockers would make you feel more confident or happy? What was your thought? Um, I was happy um, while taking the hormones because at the same time I was being uh, love-bombed by others around me, uh, those in the LGBT community. Uh, saying this is who I was supposed to be and so yeah I was happy for a while but looking back now I realized that that really was a honeymoon period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They call it right your glitter family because of the transgender fam so-called family you know they bring you in they draw you in they encourage you to question your identity question your gender to go through this transition so you start going through this transition you're being as you said love bombed by the lgbtq community and then what happened within that community did that support and seeming familiarity continue to grow or did things change um it grew all the way until 2018 when they ended their relationship with me why because I wanted to be a cop, and apparently that's not a good thing. Mm, and is that considered working... too masculine, or why? I honestly don't know exactly what the reasoning was. Um, I went to the police academy at my local uh, college. I, I filled near the end of the course, and after that I was working as a volunteer the chief of police of my local police department and I was uh, tasked by the chief to rebuild and build a better connection with the transgender and LGBT community and when I started asking questions um, to the community it's like hey the chief of police wants to build a better relationship uh, what does he and the department have to do to build a better relationship apparently my questions according to the transgender activist that I was talking to was too cisgender and I was being 
I was behaving and asking questions like a cisgender woman. Mm. And for, to be clear, uh, cisgender means you identify with your biological reality. So they're accusing you now as you are in this transgender identity of asking questions as if you were actually a biological female. Am I getting that right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what was your reaction to that? Were they questioning if you were really male or female, or were they just well, nervous? These people, these people knew who I was because I actually went to a nonprofit organization, and the and I knew the the or, the owner of the organization. I and I went up to him because this is a biological man trying to be a woman. So I asked him, "Hey, the chief of police wants to." A better relationship with, uh, can he do? And well, he got offended by my questions because he said that I already knew the answers. And there was another young man in the office and overhearing everything, eavesdropping, and they started to get upset with me and then calling me right wing and that I was now Breitbart. Hmm. Interesting. I want to continue this conversation seeing, you know, where you went from starting with cross-sex hormones, testosterone blockers. I know you eventually went through with a top surgery, so plastic reconstructive surgery to manipulate um, the upper part of your anatomy. I want to hear more about how all of that impacted your body and what led you to transition out of this transgender identity. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Abel Garcia is my guest, a young 25-year-old man who identified in the past is transgender and he's telling his story heroically when the pro-LGBTQ community does not want stories like his to be told, which is the reality that the gender craze, the gender confusion is not the gender confusion it is, it's the manipulation of the pro-LGBTQ community uh, taking advantage of vulnerability in our culture today. So I'll be right back here with Abel Garcia. Don't go away. You want to continue to hear his story of detransitioning from a transgender identity. Are you tired of educational options that are one size fits all? Our sponsor, Colby Academy, offers the flexibility of both accredited online and traditional school at home options to fit the needs of your child. Visit relevantradio.com Colby. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. We live in a culture where the culture says you do you. You identify as what you want, you make up your own truth, and you will be happy, and I'll do the same thing, and I'll be happy too, and we're all going to coexist to make that happen, and one way we do this today is with regard to the LGBTQ identity. We are seeing a massive wave of young people, particularly young women, biological women, identifying as transgender and going through with cross-sex hormone, so-called therapy, but it's literally damaging and sterilizing their bodies with long-term impact. Uh, I want to talk about the real-life story of what's happening. Abel Garcia is joining me now. And Abel, I am so impressed by your candidness and honesty with such a sensitive and 
personal story. Um, you're really sharing some very sensitive parts of, you know, what's happened within your own family, with your own body. And I just want to thank you and commend you for being willing to share this because it's telling the truth about what's happening in the LGBTQ community. Like you said, how they pulled you into this identity, how, you know, you had, you know, kind of a, um, a father who was working a lot and he wasn't around a, a ton. And when you started to question your identity, um, he, ended up taking you to see a prostitute and that had an even further negative impact on your gender identity. Um, you were rejecting, you know, the idea of being a man. And so you go to a counselor and boom, as soon as you start to mention this question, the counselor immediately doesn't look to see if you have any comorbidities such as depression, anxiety, autism, or any other number of things that could be going on at the same time or prior, any family history. And the counselor offers you this letter immediately saying that she is going to um, give you the letter so that you can start receiving uh, so-called hormone therapy. You start receiving synthetic forms of estrogen in pill form, then into injection, which is highly dangerous for the body. We actually know that these are group one carcinogens, um, very, very dangerous. And then you're taking testosterone blockers to to block the natural production of testosterone in your body. You're about 19 years old. At what point do you start to uh, look into actually going through with a um, top surgery, as many people refer to as a sex change or um, various therapeutic surgeries today? So before I actually started therapy, I actually had told myself I wanted to wait a couple years on surgeries because I knew some uh, they, some of them were going to be very irreversible. Um, my original plan was going to be five years before I got implants and ten years before I did anything with my genitals. And I'm kind of glad I did that because I saved myself from and dodged a huge bullet. Um, I say that because only 11 months into starting hormones, I met with a, another doctor and he immediately gave me my letters for surgery for both breast implants, which is known as top surgery, mm -hmm. and removal of my genitals and creation of a neo-female or neo-female genitals. I'm trying to be a little peachy, sorry. Right. Um, I only accepted and requested top surgery, and bottom, I didn't even ask for that because that one I had told myself, again, I want to wait 10 years for that. Before I do anything. Um, a few weeks into after seeing him, I get a letter from my insurance and I've been approved for two surgeries, both top and bottom. And I wow. only asked for one. Okay, so you already were only asking for one, but they automatically say, hey, we'll give it all to you. And the insurance is offering to completely cover both top and bottom surgery? Yes. And this was not even a full year into hormones. Wow. Now, this it means you're going to see a plastic reconstructive surgeon. Um, you have the top surgery. Can you tell us a little bit about what was done to the upper half of your body to seemingly look like a woman's body? And sure, just sorry, um, just real quick, a little ears warning. I know this is kind of graphic and just want to make sure you know, you're aware. If you want to listen to this later, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcast. But this story is really important, parents. You got to know what's happening out there right now. So please tell us what that top surgery looked like. 
All right, and don't worry for your viewers. I'm trying to be as PG as as I can. Thank you. Um, we, we appreciate knowing what happened too, though. I mean, this is this is, I think, something a lot of people like to deny is happening. So when we know the reality of it, it, it helps to be clear what is happening. Sure. Um, so for me, uh, what they did is they cut my. It was under my nipples, uh, like about a few inches down. They went under the muscles and inserted um, an implant under each in under each nipple or chest or however you want to call it. But they, I don't remember the, the what they used, whether it was saline or silicone, but uh, they did um, add breast implants to under my chest, mm -hmm. and it was mm -hmm. under the muscles. Um, I lost nerve sensation under my on my right side of my chest um, not long after. But I think when I woke up, I don't recall. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. So you lost nerve sensation. What was your reaction to having gone through with the top surgery to look seemingly look like a woman? Well, at first I was very happy. Again, honeymoon phase and all that. And because I was still within the LGBT community, everyone was affirming me and congratulating me for becoming who I was supposed to be. So, mm. it went well, plus I also had a lot of events coming up uh, the few months after that, so I guess perfect timing. Mm -hmm. And what was your time frame after that? What was your reaction as the days, months, and weeks passed? Only three months later, um, I started to question myself. Uh, the next uh, four months into that, I went back to my first therapist. And I told her, I think I might have made a mistake. Uh, is there a way I can detransition? She told me that my issues with, or my wanting to, to detransition, were actually childhood traumas resurfacing. Especially after I had just, I am currently recovering from surgery. Wow. Now, had she ever prior to that talked about childhood traumas and treating those when you first went to her struggling, you know, going to the therapist for help? Uh, not to my recollection. And I can double check. Uh, I do have all my medical records with her. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the one thing that stood out to me immediately. Wow. What was your reaction to that, Abel? I was shocked. And to be civil with her, I told her I would have booked another appointment uh, when I could. But I told her, uh, due to my new scheduling, because I, I don't remember what I was doing at the time, but I said something about scheduling. Um, I don't know when I would see her again, but I would see her as soon as I could. And after that, I ignored, I left her and never spoke to her ever again. Now, this was four months after going through the top surgery. You're wanting to detransition. She discourages you. Where did you go from there? So after that, I went to my insurance and said, I need a therapist. I'm having issues. Uh, where, uh, where can I find a therapist? They recommended one that was working at the health clinic that I was going to. And he was no better than the first one. I think he was the worst one out of um, the three therapists I've had. Mm -hmm. um, when I brought it up to him, um, actually, no, before I brought it up to him, I had a feeling he wasn't going to support my, my choice on detransitioning. Uh, 
So I had looked around a little with the military to see what I could do to detransition and get away from California for a bit. Mm -hmm. um, military said that I could join, but I would have to become a man again. So that was my original plan. Mm -hmm. uh, so I brought that up to the therapist and he shot that idea down and said I should go, uh, go into law enforcement because they wouldn't require me to detransition. And that the thing that stood out with him was he told me I should not be too cavalier with my gender identity, especially with detransitioning because we don't know the potential side effect or harm that could be done to my body by detransitioning. Wow. Now, was this the first time you'd ever been warned about side effects was with the idea of detransitioning? Yep, that is the only time I've ever got any pushback and was told about any, there might be potential side effects. So to be clear, Abel, if you're just joining us, this is Abel Garcia joining me today on Trending with Timory. He's heroically sharing his story of having, um, he's a biological male who identified uh, or was pushed into a female identity um, and ended up coming out of that. He's 25 years old today. Um, so you're telling me, Abel, that this was the first time that you were ever warned that there could be negative consequences or side effects to the medical decisions that you were being encouraged to walk through by uh, therapists, medical physicians, and your insurance company. And so you're telling me the your primary care physician never talked about any side effects for testosterone blockers or synthetic estrogen on your body. You're telling me that the 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 insurance companies, when you asked for top surgery, offered you bottom surgery as well at the same time. And you're saying that after that, you end up moving to this point where you have the top surgery and they didn't even talk about any negative consequences either, including the nerve damage that immediately occurred. Is this correct? Yes, that is correct. Wow. Okay, so now you're saying you're thinking about detransitioning. This therapist tells you now that there could be some negative consequences. Does he say what those negative consequences could be? Nope. Uh, not to my recollection. He never told me what side effects could happen. Um, after that, I realized he was crazy. Uh, but I continued seeing him, trying to see if I can slowly try to convince him. Didn't work. <laughs> wow. Um, so where'd yeah. you go from there? Um, well, I I started looking around, and eventually I found a YouTube video. I know YouTube uh, destroyed my life and somehow saved me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it I found encouraged a... you to be transgender first, right? Yeah. But uh, there was, I found a video of a detransitioner much older than I, um, by the name of Walt Heyer. Yes, and, he's been a good friend of our show here on Trending. Well, um, I found a video of Walt uh, being interviewed. I don't remember by who, but um, I reached out to Walt uh, to his website, and after explaining my situation with him. He told me he had a friend in my area who was a therapist, and he could uh, reach out to him to see if he can take me as a client to help me out. Because mm. by then, I I didn't know what to do. I was heavily depressed, and if I'm going to be honest, I was abusing alcohol for a while. Now, you didn't start abusing alcohol until it was a coping mechanism for your reaction to the transition. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so it um it was a yeah, it was a coping mechanism after no therapist would want to work with me and I was feeling alone. There was no one I could talk to because the entire LGBT community had left me and I did not want to admit I was wrong to friends or family. Mm-hmm. Now were you in contact with your family still through all of this? Yeah, by then I had already moved back in. Uh, with mm-hmm. my mother, but I, like I said, I was abusing alcohol for, um, mm-hmm. and that wasn't fun. Yeah. Now tell me the time frame from the time that eventually you're 19, you start to see the therapist who says you're a woman. Months later, you start to do the hormone cross sex hormone, so called hormone therapy. You go through. You know, you're later doing the top surgery. What's the time frame then? How old are you when you start to detransition, and what do you start with? So, nineteen at a year was 2016. Uh, that's when I went to see a therapist. Um, a few months later, well, actually the next year, um, I got all my documents changed to female. Later that that was 20 early 2017. A few months after that. Late 2017, I got a letter for top and bottom surgery approved. Early 2018 is when I got top surgery. Late 2018 is when I realized my mistake. And from late 2018 until uh, December of 2020, I try to find a therapist. I use alcohol for a while and go through a depression because, again, I'm alone. And eventually I get the help that I needed through Walt Hire's friend. And I was able to officially detransition December 2020 by having the implants removed. And that was a fight um, against my insurance. And it was very difficult to get a therapist to sign off, another medical professional to sign off on it. It was difficult to get a medical professional to sign off on your desire to detransition from something that you aren't actually... Yes, that is correct. Um, this was also because it was COVID in California. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure I know a lot of pa- doctors did not want to take new patients. But yeah, uh, the limita- the selection I had was very small from my insurance. So, mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, that's Abel Garcia. He is a biological male, 25 years old, who was ushered into a transgender identity as a woman and has detransitioned, heroically sharing his story. We're tagging him on social media, Instagram, Twitter. He is a heroic voice for the truth of the impact that the LGBTQ community has had on young men and women. Uh, Sexchangeregret.com is that resource of Walt Heyer, who's been a guest here on Trending. I'll include a link in the episode notes for today's show because Walt Heyer's story as well of having detransitioned after having identified as a female for a number of years it is a powerful story and he is helping people like yourself um able and it's incredible to see the fruits um that have come from stories such as yours especially being so young um to be able to reach into the lives of many young people today who are trying to do what was done to you and in, and what you were pushed into. Can you share with me a little bit about the physical aftermath on your body from the cross-sex hormones, the testosterone blockers, and the top surgery? Sure. Um, due to the hormones and everything and surgeries, 
Um, I can't feel half of my chest, and it's numb. Um, I have multiple scarring just due to all the surgeries I've had. Uh, my nipples don't even look normal, uh, because due to the fact that I was on estrogen, I was a little fat, and the implant. Uh, my nipples went from looking like that of a man, which I was, and am, to that of a female nipple. So, the doctors had, the surgeon had to cut off my nipple and resize it and then reattach it. Um, I have genital atrophy, so for those who don't know what that means, uh, let's just say that it's very small, much smaller mm -hmm. than it should be. Mm -hmm. then, from the cross-sex hormones and the testosterone blockers, correct? And from uh, wearing very tight clothing uh, so I to could hide. appear... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because unlike uh, some of the kids nowadays who do not care about hiding anything when they're trying to lie to the world, I at least put some effort into it. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But uh, the last thing that I know regarding medical damages is um, half of my body, uh, the left side of it, um, shakes on its own. I don't really can't. I can't really control it. Um, I've talked to people. People I've spoken to have said it might be MS, but again, I have yet to get that tested out since I'm not really very trustworthy of doctors nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're afraid of what the answer will be of the damage, but also afraid of who you can trust after being betrayed by the medical community. If you're just joining us, that's Abel Garcia. He's sharing his story and we'll continue to hear his story and the hope and the healing uh, moving forward and praying for Abel through his journey. But this matters. Prop 1 California, Prop 3 in Michigan, Prop 5 in Vermont. We need no votes because those so-called um, pushes to bring abortion into the state constitution will also legalize four minors doing exactly what was done to Abel Garcia's body. We'll talk about more of that in just a moment here on Trending. The Catholic Order of Foresters, the sponsor of our studio line, is hiring today. Several positions are available throughout the U.S. Visit relevantradio.com foresters to learn more about how you can find your vocation with COF. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not licensed in all states. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. My guest today is Abel Garcia. He is heroically sharing his own story of being, he's a biological male, 25 years old, who was ushered into a transgender identity when he was struggling with a masculine identity, rejecting, rejecting his uh, maleness. And it's interesting to hear his story today, especially because we're getting ready for a major election here, especially in the states of California. Michigan and Vermont, Prop 1 in California, Prop 3 in Vermont, and Prop 5 are pushing for radical amendments to the state constitution uh, to make abortion basically giving unfettered access to abortion and for free. But part of those propositions also include language that would make it so that any person of any age, I'm talking about a toddler, 
I'm talking about a seven-year-old, a 13-year-old, could go through without any parental notification or parental consent with cross-sex hormones, testosterone blockers, puberty blocker, blockers, as well as surgical and bodily mutilation. Um, joining me now is Abel Garcia, who's been sharing his story. It's a powerful story, and if you have not been with us, this is an episode you really do need to listen to to understand what's happening in the therapy world, in the medical world, how insurance is handling this. If you or someone you know is struggling with gender identity or is being pulled into any of the LGBTQ identities, please check out two excellent resources, sexchangeregret.com, that's sexchangeregret.com, and reintegrativetherapy.com to help find real solutions and answers and actually treat a body's, a person's body, mind, and soul. Uh, Abel, let's talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned the after um, effect of the testosterone blockers and the cross-sex hormones, as well as top surgery that you went through and everything from tremors on the full left side of your body to the atrophy of your genitals and the nerving of the numbs in the top half of your body from the top surgery. And not to mention other things I'm sure you are still learning or won't know. Um, This aftermath has been devastating for you. Uh, Can you share with us a little bit about how the recovery has been good and healing for you and briefly what you see in your future? Um, so regarding the healing, I think I've healed overall well. Um, obviously, I, I have all those issues, but uh, until I get everything checked out, I really don't know. Uh, for my future, I'm hoping to obviously not have any permanent life-altering damages to my body. Um, but only time will tell for that one, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, Abel, what's the role of faith been in this journey for you? So I was born Catholic, um, and growing up, I really didn't care for it. Um, when I lived um, in my transgender identity, I didn't believe in God. But after I realized that I was wrong um, with that identity, after I realized um, that I was damaging my body, I've gone back with God and I've been slowly but surely uh, trying to repair my relationship with God and overall. Praise God. Abel, welcome home, back home to the Catholic Church. I can't imagine there's so much more of your story. We're going to have to continue the conversation another day because the faith component um, of this transgender ideology is a profound one. It's a rejection of God in many ways. And um, I want you to know that we are praying for your healing and your future. And I am so full of hope um, to hear your story and your candidness about how you were saved from a transgender identity, even in the midst of, you know, some of the fallout uh, that God and people and friends were willing, you know, to be there in your life and help you eventually and be back in your mom's honesty of saying you're going to regret this. I'm so thankful for you. Um, if you were to say one thing briefly, perhaps to a parent whose child is struggling with a transgender identity and they're thinking about transitioning, what would you say? Uh, for the parents who are dealing with this, I'd say don't let your child transition. Um, and that goes for any form of transition, social, name, even medical, like, don't, because it's going to feed into that ideology, and eventually the kid is going to reach out to others, and they're going to tell them that you're very hateful and that you don't love them enough to sterilize their bo- their bodies and destroy them from the inside out. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, do whatever you can to reduce their internet access. If you can remove it completely, I do that because that's, from what I've seen, is one of the major causes of this. That's Abel Garcia. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Abel. We're going to continue the conversation soon again with you in the coming weeks. So thank you for sharing. Our prayers are with and for you as you move forward with hope and truth. And praise God for your Catholic faith and helping to navigate through the challenges of these situations.